Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Drop your shoulders, take a breath. Tune in to how you feel, because it's time to stretch. Hello and welcome back to a new season of Stretchmarks podcast. My name is Sinead O'Moore and I created Stretchmarks to give us all an opportunity to acknowledge the parts of life that are stretching us in all directions. Not just the physical, but the mental, emotional, hormonal, professional, financial, identity, partnership, energetic stretches we all go through. Because there is no right or wrong, there is no picture perfect, there are just a series of stretches one after the other that leave their mark. This episode is sponsored by Carrywell, maternity wear that makes breastfeeding and pregnancy as comfortable as possible. Carrywell is the support we need with their maternity and nursing underwear, made specifically for our growing needs before, during and after pregnancy. Embrace the stretch of motherhood confidently with Carrywell and this podcast. Picking off the season with Carla Pierre Fitzgerald, or as you might know her, half of Carla. Carla has lost 183 pounds and gathered an empowered community along the way. But don't assume that this is a weight loss episode because our conversation goes deeper than that. You could say this is about shedding the mental weight of negative self-talk, esteem, trauma, and the cycle that kept Carla trapped in a self-sabotage for most of her life. We talk about how everything changed when she stopped focusing on her body and started to accept that she must first care for her mental health. We talk about fertility and the choice she made to become a mother, the personal stretches she has gone through as her body halved in size, and her real goal, to empower as many people as possible, to see beyond the scales, and to begin to love themselves back to health. Life happens, and we all find ways to cope, to push it down and to block it out. We can become addicted to these cycles that feel safe but could be harming us, and it's a huge stretch to finally accept change, to accept that you are worthy of self-love and that you are ready to let go of what no longer serves you. Carla's conversation is personal, at times painful, but incredibly inspiring. Carla, you are so so very welcome to Stretch Marks Podcast. I, as one of hundreds of thousands of people, have been watching your transformation, your journey, your evolution over the last couple of years. And there's been one post most recently that has just 
for me, connected to you so deeply with this pod that I was like, I have to, I've always said I have to have you on, but this was my, this was my moment of like, take action, which was you can't shame yourself into change. You can only love yourself into evolution. Now, if you know this pod, you know that that is the message that we cannot stay still, stay stuck. We're constantly evolving and stretching and meeting our new selves, which is what you are now like championing and encouraging everyone and motivating us to do. That is my, that is my goal. Thank you, uh, first of all, Sinead, for having me on. But yeah, that's, that's really is, it's my goal is to empower us, is to, my, my motto is show up for yourself. And it's by doing that and allowing myself to put myself first, I began a change that led to an evolution that I never expected for myself. Definitely, if you'd asked me four years ago, is this what your life would look like now? I would have laughed you off the off Zoom. Uh, but it's amazing what happens when you start to believe in yourself and put yourself first and allow yourself to change and give yourself permission to acknowledge what you want from life and what you want to achieve and how you want to change despite what other people might say or what your what box other people have put you into but that that my goal is is to empower us all is is I show and share how I show up for myself in hopes of inspiring mostly other women but some men as well uh, to do that for themselves to show up for themselves and to allow themselves to change why were you not a priority on your list I had never been a priority on my list for the majority of my life. I, until I was 27, I was a carer for my older father. Uh, he was 90, uh, not 27, sorry, 25. He, was it 27? Anyway, it doesn't matter, semantics. Uh, but I was a carer for him. He was nearly 91 years old when he passed away. He was my father and I lived with him and my mom, who was, is considerably younger. But we, I was always doing something for him uh, from a very young age. I took over a lot of accounting and management of our family business from being in my teenage years. So I'd always been doing something for somebody else or doing other things. And I also think that I the reason I wasn't a priority, the main reason is because I didn't believe that I had value. I did not value myself at all in any way, shape or form. I thought I was the worst of the worst and I never allowed myself to invest in myself in order to get the best out of myself that I could. I always shamed myself. I was my own worst bully. And that's where that quote about the you can't shame yourself because I tried to change so many times, but it came from such a negative place as opposed to being from a place of self-care uh, self-acceptance and self-love. How did it show up in real life for you back then when you were feeling that way? Obviously there was the weight gain, but no doubt it had other impacts in terms of how you viewed yourself, your self-worth, the opportunities you might have put at yourself forward for. How did it restrict you becoming the version of you who you were always meant to be? I, I lived my whole life with negative self-talk. So I I had some trauma when I was younger and then I started to build a narrative for myself, a narrative around who I was and what, what my place in the world was and what my value and worth was. And 
a lot of that started to become in encircled with my weight so you know my like I started to put on weight oh, as a as a young child and then continued on as I got older and at the time as well you'll probably remember yourself the 90s 2000s we were filled with imagery of you know heroin chic and circle of shame you know if somebody had a tiny bit of cellulite on them or horrendous things you know like calling somebody a whale getting out of the sea if they were or I was even saw one the other day was uh, Tyra Banks and there was a woman who was probably a size not even a size 10 now saying how does it feel to be a plus size model and it's just like this was just so normal for us we were just so conditioned so when you're already overweight and you're seeing society tell you how awful it is to be overweight and how they're always the, you know, the butt of every joke in a comedy, you know, if you think about friends and Monica in the fat suit and all of these things, you start to internalize a narrative about yourself. And that narrative then builds and builds and builds as you go. So as I got older and went through life, like I, what started to happen was that I wouldn't put myself forward for things. I, you know, I would start to shy away. And that negative self-talk was basically omnipresent for me. It was 24 seven, every single thing that I did, every achievement that I ever had, nothing mattered because this voice was telling me how awful I was. It's my own worst inner critic. And any bully that I encountered was never as bad as how bad I bullied myself telling myself these awful untruths, things that I know now that you're worthless, you're ugly, you're disgusting, you know, nobody's ever going to love you and all these horrible things. And I had a good childhood. It's not, it's not about, I think we have a lot of, you know, misconceptions that it has to be some kind of really dramatic thing that causes trauma that builds this internal voice, but it can be a culmination and a narrative that you build on yourself. And then it's reinforced by seeing all these things around, you know, all these imageries and, you know, movies based on these things. But it came to the point where, you know, I would be in my early 20s. I was, you know, quite, uh, I used a lot of alcohol in order to cope with my negative self-talk or never put myself first. There was even times, you know, where it would come down to the point where like I might not take a shower. I might not feel like I was worth taking a shower. I remember not feeling like I was worthy of having water that I didn't want to drink because I didn't feel like I was worth it. And it would manifest itself in so many different ways. There was I one of my kind of main things is that I, I had a very successful job. I was uh, very determined. I always felt like I had to prove myself, but was never able to prove myself. And I know a lot of women, uh, you know, we feel we have to prove ourselves in in jobs, especially when we're surrounded by men and we feel that we have to, you know, show that we are the best. But even in doing so, even I was shortlisted twice for businesswoman of the year for that that role. All I ever told myself was how awful I was and that I didn't deserve it or it was fake, you know, or that I made it up or something like that. So, you know, it was terrible imposter syndrome, but to, you know, a thousand percent or much higher than anybody else, you know, or not than anybody else, but much higher than the normal kind of imposter syndrome. It was so insidious and constant and omnipresent in my life. And it would block joy. I don't think I ever experienced joy. I don't think, honest, until the last few years, I never allowed myself to enjoy anything because it was it was such a negative, there was, everything was such a negative spin. And a lot of it was to do, 
it would manifest in the way that I would speak about myself would be around my weight. You know, I would say like at the time when I when I started to lose weight, I was 23 stone and I would tell myself that was the issue. That was the biggest issue. But actually, the issue was really my internal feelings and my weight was a symptom of that. But, you know, it would come to the point where like if we were celebrating something, I wouldn't allow myself to celebrate it because I'd be so worried about what other people thought or what I was thinking other people were thinking of me. I would be so worried about not looking the way I wanted to look, not feeling like I was going to fit in a chair. Everything was overshadowed by this consistent negative critic in me that I never allowed myself to actually experience anything. My, my partner Vincent often says that, and it's something I still have to take stock of and take a step back and say, you know, actually, no, I did do that. Or I've achieved that. Whereas previously, I would never have allowed myself to enjoy any achievements or celebrate any victories. It's it's something, and I think that a lot of us do that as well. A lot of women, we have a tendency not to celebrate ourselves, not to celebrate our victories. I do now, considerably better than I did before, but it's still hard. It's still not conditioned in us to speak about ourselves in a positive light. We're seen as, you know, bragging or that we, I, I remember, you probably know this, this app, you know, that not going to lie, I think it's called, where you can enter uh, anonymous questions or anonymous things. And I did that once and I never suggest, never recommend doing it. I will never do it again. But somebody wrote their um, perception of was me of me is that I love myself. Mm. And I was like, yes, I do. And I would hope I would hope that we all do. And it's seen as such a negative thing. We don't give out about men who love themselves. You know, men are very prideful. They're proud and as they should be with with whatever they do. But so should we. We should give ourselves permission and celebrate each other and celebrate ourselves as well. This theme came up in a previous, uh, probably two previous episodes, many, but definitely two that are coming to mind. In the last episode that I recorded with Kate O'Dwyer around our visibility and as women, firstly, our visibility is challenged because anytime we do try and demonstrate or speak or share about our achievements, our wins, our qualities, our pride, we are cut at the ankles because there is that, God, she loves herself, doesn't she? Yeah. Oh, she's a big fan of herself. And it's such an Irish thing as well. Yeah, there's a great big country in Ireland, isn't there, where you just, as soon as you get above your station, you're knocked back yeah. down again. Down. And then, and that can, and, and that can be at a physical level, even, you know, for teens or for young women that may not ha actually even have kind of a, a body issue. If they wear something that's, that somebody else assumes, oh God, she's really flaunting that. You know, that it might be her beauty is even attacked. So it's like from all angles, no matter how you're growing up, whether it's you're growing up in the conventional way that society expects you to look, or if you're growing up in a way that society mocks, either way, we're always conditioned somehow to be wrong. Somewhere. Very, very true. And then when we become older and in our professional space, then it's the, oh, she's, she's so bossy. Yeah. If we begin to, instead of ambitious, it's negative. Or assertive. Yeah, it's toxic again. And then when we become into the kind of the mother space, 
then it's like, again, it's another layer of competition. And did she get her body back? And, you know, is she gone back to work? And it, and it's just another layer of like, you're flawed. Whatever decision you're making, you're flawed. Oh, you love yourself. You're after getting a babysitter. Oh, to give yourself some time and space, you're flawed. And no matter what you do, no matter what, what you choose to do with your own child or the way you parent, you're wrong. You can't win. There is nothing like society is basically telling us that that every single decision somebody is going to. And, and you know yourself even having any kind of presence online as well. You're going to be wrong because you can't suit everybody. You but you I, I do hope that women, I think we're think younger women are getting better at it. I wish that they didn't have to deal with it at all. But I think our generation, we're we're still really struggling with that. No, this is the way I want to do it. And if you don't like that, that's okay. It's not, you know, that's your that's your choice. It's not mine. And we need to be okay to be respectful of other people's choices. I just, I remember coming into having a baby and just the onslaught of information of you know this is right no this is wrong this is right this is wrong and I was like you just can't win you just have to you have to stick to yourself and stick to your own guns and continue on and hope that it turns out okay in the end because let's face it none of us know what we're doing until we're through it our bodies are designed to grow they stretch and soften in ways that we are told we should reject and shame when really they are doing the most amazing job and it is okay to also want to reclaim your confidence, to encourage good posture, to create shape and support beyond birth for as long as you choose. The Carrywell Back to You collection features a seamless shapewear nursing top and organic cotton belly binder, both designed to hold you as you recover, support your lower back, improve your posture and create smooth lines on those days that you want that extra confidence. Embrace the stretch of motherhood confidently with Carrywell. Available to buy now on cleverclogs.ie and check out your nearest stockist. I actually had my son when I was, I got pregnant one month after I met, after I had my goal weight, after I got to goal weight. So I literally got to goal weight and then got pregnant. So I was at the literal optimal BMI and stats for having a baby. Now, prior to that, uh, I was, uh, before I started to lose weight, I decided to check my fertility levels because I wanted to know whether I had enough time to lose weight, you know, or whether I should, this is something we should do now. And I do know that the way I was not treated necessarily in terms of having a baby, but there was definitely a, a nuance that my lack of, I, I had very low egg reserves and that they, they thought I was in perimenopause. And that was definitely something to do with being overweight. And that I think when you are in a bigger body, everything is instantly blamed on that. There is like, that is the, that is the reason that everything is going wrong in your life, whether you blame it or a medical professional will or something else, somebody else will. But I do know that that when I did feel at that time when, cause we were in lockdown as well. So I wasn't able to go in um, to the IVF clinic in one of the big hospitals, 
but it was the biggest suggestion from the from the consultant at the time was to lose weight and come back before beginning because we couldn't do anything to do with IVF at the time because of COVID was to do that and then come back and then I reached goal weight and a month later I got pregnant naturally now I do know for sure that I would not have had the same pregnancy nor the same birth if I had still been 23 stone if I would have even been able to conceive did the fertility results influence how you now were doing this for different reasons at the time the reason that I started to lose weight was for me that was the most important thing was that I needed to do it for me I realized that this was the ultimate act of self-care and that the weight that I had accumulated didn't actually belong to me it belonged kind of to that voice it was a it was a physical manifestation of my negative self-talk and my coping mechanisms for food addiction. And as I was peeling that back, I was like, I'm ready to get this off. Mm-hmm. And then the idea then that we made to be told, not only may you not be able to have children, but at 33, 30, 33, you might be in perimenopause mm-hmm. was devastating. And there was no guarantee that losing weight would reverse any of that or have any impact on it whatsoever. I'm not sure even now, I've never never tested them again. You know, I I have my son, I'm like very happy with him. I'm not sure if they've had that impact, whether it has been the weight loss, but it definitely has had that impact. And it was another reason, another why. I think when we're embarking on any journey or be it weight loss, be it anything that you want to achieve, you always have to be very firm in your why that you're doing something. And my why was because I deserved it. But another why was because maybe I can have a child. If I do, maybe I can have a a natural birth, a, a natural pregnancy. I didn't, didn't get the natural birth in the end, but I did get the very midwife led, very, uh, very nice pregnancy. So but it's an example of how mentally and emotionally you're reframing it away from punishment. Yes. And, and into desire. You know, I desire this future for me. I yes. desire to give me the opportunity to experience what it is like to be pregnant, to birth a child, to become a mother. It's it's a future focus as opposed to a punishment. Yeah, every single time, like I, I had been overweight my whole life since I was really, really young. So I've always wanted to lose weight. And I've tried like every single Monday morning since I was about seven years old. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to lose weight like I was hey. constantly, you know, constantly trying to lose weight. But every time I was doing it, I was doing it because of an event or because mm-hmm. of a boy, you know, in school uh, or because my friends all looked a certain way and I didn't. Or uh, because I was a bridesmaid and they had to get a special dress made for me. You know, there was always an external reason or because I'm disgusting. How awful do you look? And I know now that there was nothing disgusting about me, no matter what size I was, no matter at any point in my life, I was a valuable and valued human being. But that inner critic never allowed me to believe that. What? made you silence that critic what finally was the point where you looked that critic in the eye and said no no more 
I didn't realize that not everybody lived with negative self-talk the way I did. I thought that that was just a completely, and yes, we all do have, you know, a somebody who raises their voice every so often and will tell us something, you know, and you can be like, yeah, you know, bugger off. But I never realized how bad mine was. And I, the, I basically had a moment, I had started journaling, uh, after I'd done one big campaign, I needed to do something to get my creative juices going. I did a big campaign for my last job and it was very successful. And there was a lot of pressure on me to get another one um, to do another campaign. And I just had lost like all my creativity and used it up. And somebody recommended the book, um, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And in it, she does a journaling exercise where you do three pages. It's called the morning pages and you just do three pages. Just let it out. Let everything out. And don't stop. Don't take a pen off the paper. Don't read it over. Just allow it out. And it was the first time in my life I ever connected to the true me, to who I am. And it was that that was it started to kind of evolve things inside me, you know, and actually to the point where I got quite scared of, you know, I I had quite a reaction. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to continue doing this. And I continued on anyway. And then I had a moment and literally just was like that, like everything I've ever thought about myself is a lie. Wow. That voice isn't mine. This doesn't belong to me. I know where it's from. I know whom the people are that have made this voice. And I've just, I've internalized this and narrated my whole life. And it was that, and it was literally like a smack in the face. I, I was driving at the time and my lovely partner was sitting beside me wittering on about something. And I was like, just my whole world turned upside down in that one moment and from that point then I I decided to dismantle it and I went to my doctor and uh we just he said that's your kind of your Damascus moment he diagnosed me then with a food addiction and then I went back to therapy for my second round of therapy and that's when I started to dismantle that voice and learn to cope with it and learn to sit in my feelings Uh, A lot of food addiction and addiction in general is a method to escape the way you're feeling, Um, either trauma or triggers or whatever emotions going on. It's a numb out. Food is the most readily available drug. And that was my drug of choice. And so I decided then to start to lose weight. Then when I had started to dismantle that negative self-talk and find a way to actually do it. I imagine you began to even lose weight before you decided to lose weight. Once your head was in the process of evolving this new version of you. Yeah, I think there was definitely there. The omnipresent food addiction had definitely kind of lightened down a bit at that point. I don't know what my weight was that that full year leading up to that point. I hadn't weighed myself probably actually in about two years from there. I do know that like I know my starting weight in the January of that year of the next year when I when I actually finally four years ago now decided to start losing weight but it was it's a strange one it's like you you kind of have to gear yourself up for it and sometimes I don't know if you know that if you've ever tried to lose weight before you might eat everything under the sun in your preparation to lose weight as well you know like I'm never gonna be able to have a Chinese again or I'm never gonna be able to eat like this chocolate and start eating all of it under the sun so I'm not sure if I did but I definitely started to treat myself better that was kind of the start of it was the change from 
treating myself like the worst person, even to just accepting myself. How valuable is it if you are, look, if, if anybody is listening to this and they feel that they connect to it? And we are, I'm recording this in the middle of January. Let's be fair. We, for the last two months, we've been marketed that we are supposed to eat and drink all around us. And then in the flip of a switch, we are told you're wrong. You're bold. You're, you're disgusting. Look how big you are. You need to sweat that off. You need to sacrifice. You need to live on kale. You know, you need to get back at the gym. Look at you. You're disgusting. And you're like, hang on. You guys told me to eat it for two months. You know, it's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's consume, consume, consume. You're wrong. Fix it. Join the gym. Yeah. And that cycle we live in constantly. And the solutions, I, I, I would like to say, I think are beginning to evolve. But we go back to our generation. Absolutely. The solution was starve yourself. You know, just like you have to just stop eating. That was the solution, which, of course, is unsustainable and creates that kind of desire and demand back again. How important then is it now that you've you've, as you said, you started every single Monday and it didn't work every single Monday. How different was it this time when actually you were here to to talk and to fix and to support your mind, your emotional self? your mental self before your physical self? This is game changing. I think that when we think about losing weight, the odds are stacked against us for weight maintenance. They, you know, to maintain the weight that you lose. I think I'm in the 1% of people who were morbidly obese who naturally lose weight, then let alone those people who then go on to continue to maintain that weight loss and the odds are completely stacked against us. And I do believe that that is because we white knuckle it or we, we starve ourselves or we find a way that is, you know, if you're just like desperately holding on until you can lose the weight and then you've reached your goal weight and then it's great. Okay, that's fine. And we just undo everything and it's all, you know, and that's that's what that's why those odds are so stacked against us. And I think that's why people think that weight loss doesn't work. But you have to come from this from a totally different standpoint. It has to be from a place of working out why. You don't get to be 23 stone by accident. It's not a matter of laziness. It's not a matter of, you know, lack of education. With some cases, it can be, but typically it's because there's something else going on in there. It's some kind of coping mechanism. It's some kind of addiction. It's some kind of mental health issue. And it's working out why, you know, what is the result of that? And then I always ask myself, who are you doing this for? You know, if if you want to lose weight, I think there's two really important questions to ask yourself. And one is why you, why you are and why you want to, and who are you doing it for? Because if you're doing it for anybody else besides yourself, it's not going to work. The only person you can do it for yourself is for yourself. It's like when you talk about, you know, an addict. If you put, you know, if if an addict wants to lose weight because of, you know, their mom, or sorry, an addict wants to um, quit al- like alcohol because of their mom or their daughter or something, it's never really going to work. It has to be something that they want to do themselves. And it's the same with losing weight. I do honestly believe it has to be something that you want to do for you. And then you need to do something that is 
specifically for weight loss, you know, something that is actually a weight loss program. The program I did is called Body Slims and it's it's really it's based on weight maintenance and reversing weight maintenance so that you have real weight loss. And then by the end of it, you just maneuver slightly into weight maintenance and you live your life free and never have to lose weight again. And that's the big difference, I think, with a lot of people is that they white knuckle it or they focus on different things that aren't calculations that aren't in the real world. You know, we talk about sins and points and, you know, all these other kind of like net carb things, you know, things that are not real life. But whereas when you work on something like calories, it's just a, 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 it's a currency that's used internationally. But the most important part is not on what you put in your mouth. It's why you're putting something into your mouth Mm -hmm. and how are we doing it because it's a habit are we doing it because we're sad? Are we doing it because we're bored? Or, you know, um, it's dismantling all of those things, all of those behaviors and actions that got us to be overweight and putting in new ones. And that's the mental health aspect of it. So for me, it was a, there was a good bit of mental health work that I needed to do before I got to the point where I was ready and able to lose weight and to do the work then to dismantle all of these coping mechanisms that I had. And that's something that body slims helped me do. And it's something that I did with therapy then as well. So it was a combination of the two. And both of them were working on the mental health, whereas everything else I had done before was white knuckling it or shaming me into doing it. Do you think there's a lack of acceptance and awareness that for some, not all, but for some people, that it is an addiction? And it's oh, an I think there's asking something else. I think there is. I think even for people themselves who are, morbidly obese Mm -hmm. it there isn't that understanding I think that I didn't understand that I knew that I was overweight and I knew that I had negative self-talk I never put those two things together until four and a half years ago there is there is such a lack of acceptance out there there is you know the biggest thing when we think about uh, somebody who's morbidly overweight is shame Mm -hmm. they have shame they should be shamed and that's never going to help. That's never going to help somebody. But it's it's the lack of understanding about the mental health impact and that food is a coping mechanism, that it is something that is there to, to that we use to help us to cope with whatever is going on inside us. I would hazard a guess, and I'm not a medical professional, and I don't know the research on it, but I would hazard a guess that the majority of people who are at least in the morbidly obese character, like uh, category are probably have some kind of mental health issue that's going on there and that the food is a coping mechanism. You spoke about that moment where you realized that your self-talk wasn't who you were and it wasn't it wasn't you speaking to you. Now that you've met yourself on the other side of this stretch and I say stretch even though we, I think before we hit record we did say like you've you've reversed in some degrees that that stretch but it's it's not about the physical it's about the emotional and the mental you have met yourself you've transformed you've peeled back the layers of that conditioning and you found a person deep within you who had been lost and silenced and afraid how do you bring them into the this into this light how do you say no it's safe now come with me we're going to do this together I think 
for me, it was almost as if there was two trapped inside me. There was two different elements of Carla trapped inside me. Uh, One was a five-year-old traumatized child who was using food. And the way that I helped her was to, to do the therapy and to do the work and to heal her and to sometimes literally hug her, you know, or to, you know, to kind of heal her and tell her it's going to be okay and soothe her as an adult, as a present adult. And then when I first went to therapy, we did an exercise and I can't remember what the exercise was, but something that we did in it helped me to meet the real you. It helps you to kind of peel back and she was ready to be to come out she was ready um even you know I remember hearing her call like hearing her name was Aurora and it was it's like I'm very like I'm not in any way into spirituality or anything like that or but it was just more like the essence of me was that person that I had trapped inside and had basically pushed down with literally with food you know and pushed down with negative self-talk and pushed down and beat down and that was trying to get out but just didn't have that opportunity to get out and was suffocating inside me and then it was starting to peel back those layers and allow her out and she was ready she was very much so ready to come out when she was when she was allowed to and I do believe that that's you know when we like in psychology psychological terms you know you're talking about like the that's the true you that's the um, the adult brain, that's the person, that's the, that the logical thinker, that's who came out. That's who had been suffocated for so long and who I allowed to come out. And that's now where I make decisions from is from my, you know, my logical brain is from more of a grounded place and the traumatized child has kind of healed and soothed and okay inside me. What was it like to start listening to her and start trusting her navigation? of what was next or what you wanted to do or life decisions. Were there times sometimes where you were like, I don't know. Should, should oh, yeah. Do we? Is yeah. This, this absolutely. This is who is we this, are now. Yeah. Is oh. this what we're doing now? Yeah. It's, I think you, you start to say yes uh, or you start to trust it and then it becomes easier to trust after a while. You know, you start to, like, if you think about anything that you do in life, I'm sure when you started this podcast, the first couple episodes you were like are we doing this and the first time you had a guest you're like am I really doing am I do I have a guest on now and then you know by like episode seven or something you're like okay fine yeah like it's it just becomes when you start to trust yourself and trust in your I think when we connect to our authentic selves and we start to trust in our authentic selves and we move from that point I think that's when things really start to change for us and we start to reap the benefits of our lives and things start to come and present themselves to us. I think our own authenticity is the most important thing that we stay true to and we continue to act from that place of being authentic and being ourselves. And when we do that, that's when paths start to open for us. Now going back to one of the other ways that were cut off at the ankles, because you have changed obviously so physically, but you have changed personally also. And one of the things that we're also not encouraged to often do as women is to change because then you hear that, oh, she's changed. How did the world accept and welcome this new you? It both did and didn't Mm. accept 
I think I am a very firm believer in that people are in your lives for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And there are definitely people who were in for a reason or a season. And there are definitely people who are in my life for a lifetime. I think the people who really love you, you'll find out who the people that you really love, you know, are who they are and how they connect with you. And I know that it is it's scary for people when you begin to change because it was scary for me as well when other people began to change, you know, and we're very comfortable with people fitting in the box that we believe that they should be in. And when they start to step outside that box, we can see it as a a judgment on ourselves um, or we can start to reflect things back on us, you know, and like if, like, for example, my sister started to lose weight. My sister had been overweight her whole life as well. And she started to lose weight 18 months before I did. And I, it hurt me that she did, you know, and it was almost like, I can't believe she's doing this without me, but also I'm not ready. And I don't believe what she's doing is right. And, and it was all this kind of, it brings up your own emotions. It brings up all your own, like your own stuff. It's not, you know, it's not about, the other person and I think that that's I it's a really important I, I like the quote um people's opinions of you are none of your business mm. and I think that's really important it's none of your business if somebody's coming at you you know you don't have to accept it but I think people will change their opinion of you when you begin to change but the people who are meant to be there and the people who are there for a reason or for a lifetime will stay and will still be there and they are for me and also the most wonderful thing is the new people that will come into your lives like I I've changed every single facet of my being except my family and my partner they're you know they're my lifetimes and a couple of friends I've met some of the most wonderful new people and connected with people because I'm a lot more open I'm a lot more vulnerable I'm a lot more who I am and I've connected with people on a real level as opposed to kind of a surface level from before it's transformative it's a complete and and it's really a a mental transformation that leads to a weight you know it's not I didn't lose weight and then this happened this happened first and then I lost weight I think that's a trick we think that we yes. always say, oh, when I fit into that dress, I'll feel something about myself. When I have that confidence on that beach this summer, I'll then f- I'll feel how I think those happy, smiley other humans feel. Exactly. I'll I'll have access to something that I think is missing within me when I have done that instead of actually twisting it and be like, no, I have to feel that for myself in order to give myself the best opportunity to love myself towards wellness. Exactly. I think that's really well put, like to love yourself towards wellness, because it is, it's about doing it first. And it can be really hard and can feel false to do it. You know, at the start when you're, you can't, I don't believe you can just automatically turn and say, right, this morning, I'm going to love myself. And then by 12 o'clock, you're like, oh, I hate myself again. You know, it's, it is a much slower process about getting to know yourself, I think, is is really important and kind of getting to date yourself and, you know, like understand who you are, and what you like and being honest with yourself. I think we're not honest with ourselves, but we 
constantly look at other people and the grass is always greener, you know, when we think that we can't have it and we pedestalize other people. But most people are just those other people may have just connected with themselves. Maybe they may have just kind of know themselves a bit better or yeah, maybe they have opportunities that we didn't have, but we can also find those opportunities for ourselves. And we can, you know, like I think Roxy Nafusi does it really well with, you know, her whole manifestation journey. And I think that a lot of people, you know, prior to that with uh, the seekers thought it was like, you just say it and it just comes to you where it's really about taking action. And I think one of the things that I realized, instead of looking out externally and blaming everybody else, I had to look inside of myself and not blame myself, but take responsibility. What happens to you isn't your responsibility, but how you deal with it is your responsibility. And I think that a lot of us don't take, myself included, I never took responsibility in the 32 years for where I was in the world. And I decided I needed to take responsibility. And it's about doing that from an honest but compassionate place Mm -hmm. and I think that we do not need to be shaming ourselves but to be compassionate about ourselves and realize that actually we are powerful and that we can have the things and do the things we want to do we have to do the work to get it like a lot of people look at me and think I lost 13 stone in 14 months but I didn't go to sleep for 14 months I worked literally my butt off and I did all the mental health work before that you know it was the guts of 10 years of different work that I had done over before that to get me to that point to be ready to dismantle all of those those coping mechanisms and literally dismantle the barrier I had built around myself but it's mm-hmm. not easy but it's worth it and we're worth the work and then take the action you have to take the action you can man you can vision board everything you want but if you don't then start to seek the opportunities that come in front of you. You know, you can't sit in your house and say, I really want to meet the love of my life and don't turn on your phone and don't leave the house. It's not, it's not, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for you. You have to put yourself out there. You have to go out and meet people. You have to interact with people, do the apps, whatever it is, but you have to take an action and maybe that action isn't the right one and you have to pivot and change and that's okay. And give yourself permission to change. But your why is through foundation, your why is staying strong. So if there are days where you do eat over your calorie limit or you are going on a weekend away and that you don't feel that guilt creep back in because you've got that foundation of self-love that is still there, that it says, no, I am eating this because I do deserve to be in this environment with these wonderful people enjoying this delicious meal. I deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's not, there is no... Like if you're, if you want to lose weight, having a plan, you know, and you're going away, I always say, have a plan. If you're going away or you're going to a wedding or something, enjoy the wedding. Don't enjoy the wedding for two months, Mm. you know, afterwards, enjoy the wedding. And then when Monday, when you come back, you know, you go straight back on again, but it's not about shaming yourself into it. You know, you're preparing yourself. It's parenting yourself. Mm. I think, you know, we, we stop parenting ourselves when we get to a certain we never parent ourselves you know all of a sudden our parents are gone and we're supposed to pick it up and we're just like what do we do now you know we don't know how to do these things it's like with when you become a mother you kind of expect that you just like some switch is going to turn on you instinctively become a mother but that's not how it happens for a lot it didn't happen for me anyway you have to learn how to do these things and you just go okay that's you know right monday that's i'm finished now and i'm i'm straight back to whatever plan i was doing it's about being consistent And not allowing excuses to get in the way and being honest with ourselves. I think that that's 
so important. I don't think we're really honest with ourselves. And if we are honest with ourselves, it's from a place of shame, not a place of love. If I'm honest with myself, the times that I feel least body confident or body happy or body well or, you know, just loving the skin I'm in is also when my mind is not in the best place. Of course. You know, like as soon as something else is going on mentally, the foundations of I, in when you were speaking at the beginning, you, you didn't deserve water. Yeah. There's a thing in me where I don't deserve to go for that walk. I should still sit at my desk and do more work, you know, or yeah. I don't deserve to get a good night's sleep. I don't deserve to get down to the gym or to make that class, you know, so it's, it's these things that we need to transform our conditioning. We are not selfish for taking care of ourselves. And if that taking care of ourselves as a byproduct causes a change in our calorific deficit, great. Yeah. But it starts with the, no, I, I deserve to get to exercise and to make time for myself and to, and to walk out the door and leave my children with their, you know, a caregiver, my partner, anyway, like the burden of responsibility for keeping everybody else well and a sacrifice to myself is wrong. Yes. And undoing that will give them a much happier and energetic and well, and also a, a model of how to do it. I couldn't agree more. I think that that's, we we have to stop sacrificing. There's a martyrdom that comes with being a mother. I think that it's almost like, we have to do everything and we don't have to do everything. The world will actually survive without us. I know that there are some, you know, partners that are not, you know, they might not pick up the same way or they might not do something, but I mean, also it doesn't also have to be perfect. Not everything has to be perfect. If we're fed, we're clothed, we're clean, the bills are paid, we'll be fine. You know, the house doesn't have to be to like the most spotless, like there's like there's crap all over my house constantly because that's real life. We don't real have life. to be, we don't have to be perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. And I'm not going to sacrifice my mental health because, you know, which for me, my morning walks are my mental health. My dance classes are my mental health. That is, yes, they help with maintaining my body, but that's the secondary. That's a, as you said, like that's a nice to have, but I need that. I need that time for myself because I give so much to other people that I need to ensure that I have the time for myself as well. And we have to give ourselves permission, ourselves permission and other women permission to do that. They'll tell you on the airplane to put the other, like your mask on before you put somebody else's on because you're, as you said, you're going to be a better model for your child and you're going to be a better, in a much better place than if you're stressed and you're like, you're given out and you're fighting with everybody. I think letting go of the idea of perfectionism really helped me because I, I am a reformed perfectionist, but also that allowing myself to put myself first, you know, for the sake of the floor in the bathroom, the floor in the bathroom would be fine. You know, nobody ever died because the floor in the bathroom had a couple of bits of dust on it. You know, it'll be okay. Go for your walk. You know, you deserve it. Take the time. Yeah. And stop watching TV so much. That's something, you know, like sometimes we think we're relaxing when we're watching TV, but we're not, you know, like there's, it's take that time, take real time for yourself. And maybe that is watching TV for an hour. You know, maybe that is a time for yourself to just switch your brain off, or maybe it's going for a walk, or maybe it's going to a yoga class, or maybe it's going for a dip in the, or reading a book or something. 
but take that time for yourself and find ways. Marie Folio has a great thing, the time audit, where you look at how you're spending your time when you, we think we have no time. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually look at how you're spending your time, it's fascinating to see where there are time vacuums, you know, scrolling, doom scrolling or something like that, where I'm like, oh, I have no time for myself, but you've spent 15 minutes. That's a, that's a walk around the block. And ask yourself whose voice you're listening to. I think that's the most important thing to do. Whose voice and what are they saying? Yeah. And if it is still from inside you, is it really you? Or is it the one that thinks it's trying to keep you safe? Yeah. It's trying to keep you small, trying to keep you away from the things that are actually here for you. It's a defense mechanism that is ultimately actually harming you. Yeah, because it's it's built in from when we were cave people, you know, new is bad, different is bad, change is bad because it's dangerous because we might die. It's most likely we're not going to die now unless you're jumping off a cliff or something like that, you know. But those voices are there sometimes for a good reason, but they're not always they don't have to be the thing that stops you. Thank you so much. This is the January episode I think everybody needs in their life. Oh, so it's not to shame and guilt and it is not to deplete and it is not to deny and to punish and to say, no, you can't have that. You don't deserve that. And you need to live on nothing. That's not what this is about. This is about stretching into a state of being that says I deserve to take care of me whatever way that looks like. Food might not be your issue. Weight may not be your issue. You may have other ways within which you are not taking care of yourself that you know that you're not doing. And this is a stretch to say, I am going to start now. And therefore other things cannot happen because I am going to start looking after me now. And whatever happens as a consequence of that, I trust is for the best for me. Completely agree. Thank you so much for your inspiring story, for sharing how you have arrived into the version of you that is thriving right now and motivating us all to accept that it is not about the denial, but we need to talk to our minds first. Do that work and the rest will come. Thank you so much, Shane. Thanks for having me. Thank you to this week's guest, Carla. You can find her at Half of Carla on Instagram. If this episode supported you, I would love to hear from you. You have the power to help this show grow and to reach new highs by sharing on your socials and your WhatsApp groups and by hitting the subscribe button. Extra love for anyone who leaves an Apple or Spotify review. It all makes a huge, huge difference. Thank you for being here. It is so good to be back and I'll talk to you again next week. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.